Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. What's up, everybody? It's Johnny King with The Johnny King Show, and I am in studio, a.k.a. my house, <laughs> with the man himself, Stephen Crawford. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Oh, man. It's good to have local guys here so we can just chill and hang out in my in my home. And uh, we had a great conversation the other day. We did. Uh, over coffee, and I was like, man, I gotta, we've got to record this next time. Tell, tell everyone who's listening or watching just a little bit about your background and what you, uh, what your profession is and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Steve Crawford. I'm the Director of Sales and an Executive Consultant at McGee Productivity Solutions. I've been doing that for about five years. I'm sure later on we'll tell my story a little bit more about how mm -hmm. I got there. Um, but I come from uh, 20 years of executive leadership in the business process outsourcing space prior to joining McGee. Mm -hmm. I'm also a co-owner and founder of Crawford & Gray which is a uh, firm that supports local small business owners and entrepreneurs. And I'm a Marine Corps veteran and a father of four young adult children. Amazing. So that pretty much puts a bow around it from a high level. So Yeah, that's a high level. But you've, you've already accomplished a lot in your life. And you're from what we talked about, you're just still getting going here. That's with, right. Uh, with a lot more pursuits of cool things going on that we'll, we'll get into. But um, – yeah, why don't you why don't you kick off things and kind of talk about how your just your evolution? I mean, depends on how far back you want to go, but I'd also love to hear just more about your service and how that impacted you and kind of led you to being the man that you are today. Absolutely. Um, so, like many things in my life, I, I take things a little bit out of order. You know, most people um, that go into the military, they'll do it like right out of high school. If they're planning to go to college, they'll go ahead and serve their time and then do college and let the military helped pay for that. My stuff was a little bit backwards. Um, I went to college originally uh, to study architecture, hmm. uh, which I did end up getting my first degree <clears throat> in, uh, first of three, um, and uh, play football and wrestle. And after my freshman year there <laughs> was when the first Gulf War started. Hmm. And I'd always told myself that if the country ever needed me, I'd enlist. I, hmm. had, I had no desire to have a career with the military. But I always was patriotic and said, yeah. you know, able-bodied guy. And I knew I wasn't going to be playing football anymore. Mm. Um, at 6'3", 215 pounds, you know, and yoked, I felt like I was all kinds of, you know, big enough for football, <laughs> but not for a linebacker and tight end. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So, yeah. you know, I wasn't fast enough to be a wide receiver, and that's what, really what I was built like these days. But mm. so anyway, you know, I walked out of an architecture lab and across the street um, down at Southern Illinois University from – my lab was a Marine Corps recruiter. Mm. And I walked in and said, hey, if you can make me a combat engineer and send me to boot camp next summer, I'll enlist. Mm. And so a recruiter's dream, you got a, a guy who already is in college, in good shape, wants to enlist and knows exactly what he wants to do. And mm -hmm. I chose a combat engineer because I was in the <laughs> engineering field with architecture and, and construction engineering. So I just felt like that was a good fit. Mm -hmm. And it worked out, so I had had my associate degree in hand by the time I went to boot camp and went and did that and did Perfect. engineering school and all that kind of stuff and then went back to college and finished up my time in the Marine Corps and the Reserves while I was finishing up college. 
And after all that, getting an associate degree and a bachelor degree, um, I realized at that point I didn't want to be an architect anymore. Mm -hmm. And the genesis for that was not that I didn't still love architecture, but it was because I really realized something about myself that I should have realized a lot earlier, and that was I'm a natural leader. Mm. I'm, I'm born to lead and manage and mentor and develop people. And the thought of doing an apprenticeship at an architecture you know, firm for six years, sitting in a room by myself and drawing just no longer appealed to me. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to be out in front of people. I needed to be leading <clears> people. So that's what got me into the financial services. I, I took a job as a management trainee um, at a consumer finance company. Mm-hmm. And within two years, had been promoted six times into uh, a general manager role from a receptionist to a processor to a loan officer to an assistant manager to a branch manager to a GM. Um, and that launched my career pretty quickly. Cool. Uh, it, it The thought that pops into my head, first and foremost, is kind of rewinding back a little bit. How did your uh, service <clears throat> in the use of the Marine Corps, <clears throat> excuse me, how did that impact you and your growth as a man? And You know, it's, I look back at it, and I'm thankful for it, and yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But it really didn't change or impact me much at all. Mm. And the reason I say that is I had a, a pretty strict work ethic, um, high moral standards um, way before that. Mm-hmm. And my father was 13 years in the Air Force. My mm-hmm. grandfather served in World War II in Korea in the mm-hmm. Army. My cool. older sister was in the Navy. So I was familiar enough with, you know, the whole rigmarole of the military. Yeah. I'd say the one thing that it did impact me was some things to do and some things not to do when it comes to leadership and business. Mm. Um, so just in the Marine Corps, just like everything else, in my fraternity and any job I had, any sport I was in, I was thrust into leadership quickly. And I learned a lot about leading men and what good leaders did and what not so good leaders did. Mm. And sometimes you learn more from the bad examples than you do the good. And I learned from both of those for sure. What, give us some examples because I think uh, a lot of the guys listening to this might be like, cool, what what are those things that are thumbs up versus thumbs down for well, how to lead? Well, in the military, inherently, there's a chain of command, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of, if I say do this, you don't ask questions. You know, if I say duck, you duck mm-hmm. because there might be a rocket head towards your head, right? Mm-hmm. You don't ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to leadership and developing people, um, that's not always the best approach, especially when in the military, the one thing that's kind of messed up about the structure there is you can have, you know, a, a master gunnery sergeant who's been 20 years in the Marine Corps that is subservient to a butter bar lieutenant just out of college who's mm-hmm. been in the Marine Corps for you know, 13 months. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me just logically doesn't make a whole lot sense. of sense. Yep. Right. Yep. And what I found was the officers who were impactful did not acquiesce the fact that they outranked any enlisted person, but they approached it in a really cool way. Mm. They had a way of, of, you know, sharing respect and showing the respect to that enlisted person who'd been there a long time. And, and rolling them in decision-making yeah. while still making the final decision hmm. and giving credit where credit was due. And when I started seeing officers who, who behaved that way, that's where it started to click for me a little bit, that even though the structure in the military is you know hierarchical and, and all that, you can still lead in a way that is inclusive, 
and leverages the value of people in your charge. Mm. And that served me very well in business mm. um, because a lot of people I know that come out of the military and into business, that's the first thing they struggle with. Mm. You know, they'll say something and they'll say, how come that didn't get done? If <laughs> I say, do it, do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not, that's not appropriate in business and it's not effective. Yeah. Interesting. It's also interesting how, I guess for some people, they know what they want to do maybe when they're in grade school mm-hmm. <laughs> or they figure out in high school. For me, uh, and I think for a lot of people too, that it's like you, you don't you don't even know yourself yet, you know, and into your 20s, into your 30s. It's no wonder careers can change and you, you maybe go to school for one thing and you end up doing something completely different because you, you don't know that, oh, I'm a people person, you know, or you just haven't gotten the opportunities to – to see yourself rise to the occasion for whatever your skill set is, you know, it right. sounded like you were getting the reps. You, were, you kept on getting the reps of leadership in different places in your life. And it just yeah. made sense that that was more of where your, you know, your, your skills were most utilized versus like you said, sitting behind a computer or drawing. Right. And you know, that's the advice I gave my four kids mm. all headed into college was listen, college is an experience for you. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. Don't worry about um, what you're studying necessarily. Um, you know, it could be that your your career ideas change. It could be you're inspired by something mm-hmm. while you're in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, you meet people that, you know, help you kind of find your way. Or like in my example, you know, it just hits you one day where you're like, you know, I'm really meant to do something else. Mm-hmm. And it happened again to me later in my career. 20 years later, it, it hit me again and I had yeah. a whole change. But, um, you know, I told my kids, listen, enjoy the experience. Get good grades, you know, focus on it. We're spending money for this. So, you know, get value out of the education. Mm -hmm. But don't feel tied into, you know, just because you get a degree in computer science that you have to go into that. Or just because you get a degree in art history that you have to do something at an exam. Open up your horizons. And that's a critical time in your life to really mature and understand what you want anyway. 100%. I think something that uh, the military, I would imagine, really ingrains in young men is discipline routine certain behaviors for success right mm-hmm. i feel like if i had had a, a little bit more guidance when i was younger um i kind of was always questioning what the point of school was you know i had a hard time connecting the dots mm-hmm. and i kind of wish i had gotten what you were saying to your kids which is like uh, you know like do what you enjoy just just test out a lot of things do a lot of different classes see what you enjoy like it's, it's a discovery process but do know that how you do Anything is how you do everything. That is correct. And that is like, it's a great four years of like, it's setting you up for your work ethic, you know? And at times I feel like I struggled because I kind of just vacillated and kind of floated through college at different points. And when I got something I was super excited about, I was all in. But other places I was not so much. And I wish I had a little bit more of that that mentorship, you know, which is interesting. I think we'll get around to, to some of that like entrepreneurship type conversation that we're going to talk about well, but i think it's pretty cool one thing you said that you know you would score a, a ton of points with sally mcgee the, the founder and owner of mcgee productivity solutions yeah. that's one of her favorite things you know what you do anywhere is what you do everywhere yeah. or how you are anywhere is how you are everywhere yeah and um it's true the more you spend time with people at all levels in an organization or in your life mm-hmm. you really see that mm-hmm. people can put on errors you know and you know go through the motions but ultimately, it comes back to who they really are. Mm-hmm. That's how they're going to respond. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So a lot of a lot of uh, early learning lessons in the military, and then when you got out of the military, 
let's pick up back on the the journey from there. Absolutely. So um, after the Marine Corps in college, I went into consumer finance, as I mentioned, and mm-hmm. worked my way up through an organization, and then got an opportunity to get into business process outsourcing, mm-hmm. which really intrigued me because it was still in the financial services space. We were outsourcers for mortgage companies and lenders and banks mm-hmm. and so forth, but we did all the back office work, and we had clients, you know, all over the world. And that business was great for me. I got I had a great opportunity to really make an impact on the business, help the business grow, deal with high-level executives yeah. around the world at yeah. large organizations, and continue to progress in my career. And I did that for nearly 20 years. Mm. Um, and then, you know, at the age of roughly 45, with at that time four teenage kids, um, and 20 years in a career, I had just had a, an awakening that said, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. And um, it wasn't because I wasn't really good at what I did and I didn't love it, but something was missing. Mm. And the the catalyst to that decision was um, I was actually flying back from India when my mother passed away, so I wasn't with her. But shortly after that, my father was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and I was able to go back to Illinois and be with him mm-hmm. when he passed. And for the last couple of days there, you know, he was in a hospice and he wasn't responsive or anything. So I was just basically by myself in his room with That's him. Right. And I did the old school pro con list, you know, mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. What do I love about what I do? What do I not love about what I do? What would I want if I could write a perfect job description? What yeah. would I want it to look like? <clears throat> and when I did that exercise, I finally realized what was missing. And what was missing was mentoring and developing other people. And it was like shockingly clear to me. Mm. Because in my career, I had always had people to mentor and develop. Hmm. As a manager, I had my team. Yep. As a VP, I had my managers. As an SVP, I had my VPs and so on. But I had gotten to such a point that I was a high enough level that even though I had 30,000 employees around the world in my charge, none of them were direct reports, and I wasn't doing anything to mentor and develop anybody. Interesting. Yep. All my time was spent with the board, <clears throat> with the finance nerds, with yep. C-level guys at my client companies. So I realized that's what was really missing. So when I wrote the perfect job description, it was to get back with a smaller company that I can impact. Mm. And I wanted to be doing something that made an impact on people every single day mm-hmm. for a living. Mm-hmm. So by that time, I was already doing a lot of volunteer work and leading a Bible study at my church and doing a lot of stuff. But for a living, I wanted to do something that impacted people. And I found McGee Productivity Solutions and her chocolate, my peanut butter, Boom, there you go. It was a perfect fit. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And we talked about this during coffee. I mean, I can see it with my father. You know, he, you know, workaholic for 30, 35 years of his life. And uh, he's been going through a transition over the last decade that, especially since my mom passed away, where he's transitioning from kind of a life focused on acquisition to a life more focused on impact. And that's so much more fulfilling to him than, um, don't get me wrong. He still loves the game of business. Sure. He loves it, but he loves to <clears throat> tutor his children. Now his grown children, other people, other entrepreneurs. Uh, he just loves to get in those conversations. And I feel like you are, you know, 20, 30 years ahead of that in the sense of you had that pretty, pretty cool awakening to that shift, you know, to like, man, I, I want to have that impact and fulfillment on people. If you think about it, you know, the value that you bring into this world. Mm-hmm. None of it's tangible stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd all, it'd be great if um, I could leave $30 million to each of my four kids. Mm-hmm. 
but that's not a legacy that's going to serve them moving forward. The yeah. legacy that's going to serve them is how good a father I am, exactly. what kind of mentorship I give them, right? And it's the same thing when I think about serving um, people in business or people I meet like we did through in, uh, an introduction or people I meet on the street. If I can bring some sort of value to somebody, mm. that's the magic sauce Yeah, because they're making value and, and it just perpetuates Right, that's the legacy. Ripple effect. Yeah, it's the legacy is how how you are with people and how you impact people, not yeah. tangible stuff that you can acquire. Yeah. yeah. Well, that stuff is important. Don't get me wrong. You you <laughs> have to pay the bills and you know take care of things, but you know there's there comes a point where you know you have what you need. Mm-hmm. Anything beyond that is really just gravy. Focus on what you can do to support people. Mm-hmm. I completely agree, and I think <clears throat> a lot of people intellectually know this. But they, they think like, yeah, well, I'll be happy to figure that out once I have a lot of money. Right. Right. I'll wait until. Yeah. I'll do that when. Right. Yeah. That's too late. Right. And I think that's the, uh, how, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but my mind still goes like, well, then how, how do you transition, especially as men, when so much of our value a lot of times is focused on, you know, what we can provide, you know, the, the doing part of being, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how do we transition it might be again very rhetorical out of that space of just like f- focusing so much on like I've got to once I get these things done or once I get up to this part of the you know <laughs> up the corporate ladder or then I'll be able to do the things that I love or then I'll be able to it seems like you've had a nice journey of really listening and being guided but then also taking action and being having the humility to to pivot even later on in life, later on in life, 45 years old. But I feel like that's when a lot of guys start to be like questioning, like what is their purpose in all this? Is it just all about, you know, trading hours for dollars? Yeah. And that's not, you know, that's sad. Yeah. Um, It's sad in a lot of ways, but you know, what's really sad is if you're not passionate about what you're doing and if you're constantly saying, if then, Mm -hmm. when I, I do this, then I can do something. I'll take action when these certain parameters are met. Mm hmm you're just going to keep adding parameters. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me, you know, I'm 50 now. It was like five years ago when, when I made this transition, it was a big pay cut. Mm-hmm. It was scary, mm-hmm. it, you know, to say, Hey, you know, I've got 20 years in an industry and a great reputation and I was making ridiculous money and great benefits mm-hmm. to, you know, step away from that, go to less than 50% of what I was making, mm-hmm. you know, downsize the house, do mm-hmm. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been happier though mm-hmm. because I was doing something that I loved and I was making an impact on people. And that's not, you know, everybody's this isn't going to be the same, but if you can identify what it is that you feel like you can really be passionate about <clears throat> and you can see how that's going to serve and impact other people, yeah, then you just got to do it. Yeah. You know, you can't wait around. It's, it's like, you know, when you're younger and people are saying, when's the right time to have kids, a married couple, you know, well, you know, we got to wait till we have this much in the bank or we got to wait until this happens. They find themselves much later in life and they didn't have their kids if they wanted them, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, get off the bench, yeah. get on the field, make it happen. Um, you know, one of the, the ways I like to look at it and, and when I work with men directly, one of the things that I'll share around that is if you're waiting because you're scared, if you're waiting because you think you see false parameters that have to be met beforehand, mm-hmm. it's likely not either one of those things. <clears throat> Correct. What is the real root reason? 
And if you just could say, start at zero, if you wipe the slate clean, you weren't at the job you're at now, you didn't have the bills you have now, you didn't have the familial uh, situation you have now. Mm -hmm. If it was a clean slate, what would you do? And when you answer that question, then it starts to open up for you. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's also genius that you, I mean, a very simple exercise that you did was to sit down and write out your ideal job description Mm -hmm. or sit down and, you know, write out your ideal relationship description or your health description like what are those things i think most people are chasing what they have been taught to to pursue and it's not what they inherently you know are compelled to pursue from their true heart you know i think for me too i I had that wake-up call 30 years old i was like why am i even why was i even pursuing these things that i thought it doesn't, I'm not happy in that sense, you know, and my marriage fell apart. So it's like, okay, clean slate. Let's get really clear about what it is that I want to pursue. You know, not that it's easy. If anything, it gets even harder Mm -hmm. (laughs) because now you, you you know, you can kind of tell if you're failing or not. You can tell if you have to keep course correcting where sometimes it was a little bit easier just because I, I was just like a walking robot, you know, kind of mindlessly checking the boxes mm-hmm. and doing what I thought I was raised to do as being a good man, a good husband, a good, you know, worker. Right. But, but you're a machine, right? I was a machine. I had no real fulfillment in life. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you're doing the quote unquote the right things yeah. based on what you were taught or, yeah. you know, the perception of yourself you had at the time or um, because you set a goal sometime back and you didn't want to give up on that goal. So mm-hmm. you're sticking with something instead of course correcting and mm-hmm. recognizing hey, things have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be an architect. How that got into my head, I don't know. If I was to do a root cause analysis, it was probably because I, I took an architecture class early in high school and I got a good grade on this uh, design I did and got a lot of feedback and it propelled me into a competition and I ended up winning this competition. So therefore, I just like, wow, that's something I'm really good at that, mm. that I like. Mm. And I almost set down a path to do a <laughs> lifetime of that. Yeah. And, you know, never really took the time to say, that's not really what I want to do. Yeah. And it took time for me to figure out what I really wanted. And then it changed again, yeah. you know, 20 years later. See, I think it's just cool. It's just cool because you've had to pivot. I mean, you look at, let's say, Michael Jordan. He comes in, he dominates just off of his raw athleticism. As he got older, he had to realize, uh, figure out new strategies to to still be the best, not based off of his pure, you know, athletic ability. Right. And so he came up with the fadeaway shot. Like you have to like reinvent yourself. That's what I found, especially as as you age, but also especially in entrepreneurship, to keep adding value, to keep progressing. You know, if you're not growing, then what's the point? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Always, always be learning. Always be growing. Always finding ways to add more value to other people. Because yeah. what that does is not only is there a great amount of fulfillment in serving other people, um, but it strengthens you. Yeah, and you know, you can call it karma if you're a faithful person like myself. I think it's a God thing. But the the more good you put into the world, you suddenly f- find that stuff coming back your way. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of power in that, too. Yeah. yeah. It's not why you do it, but it sure is nice when it does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I can't tell you how many te- – in the 11 years that I've been coaching, how many – how many, especially um, the women I was working with, primarily the women I was working with from 2010 to 2018 – through the gyms that I was running and everything else, <clears throat> so many of them were overweight. And when we started really looking at like what it was is that they were deeply unfulfilled because they, let's say they had gotten into becoming an accountant 
because they just were looking for a job out of school, mm-hmm. fell into, you know, working with numbers because they worked at the bank because they were a teller and they hate being an accountant. But mm-hmm. now they've got, you know, all the doodads and all the, the things that they have to, it's just that standard of living that they want to, uh, to keep up and they're so scared. Right. But that stress and that lack of fulfillment is what drives their eating, mm-hmm. right? And so we all, you know, if, if that's why I agree. It's like if you don't have the courage to pursue the thing that you ultimately love to do, then ultimately you're you're wasting your time, and it is sad. But it's there's a cost. There's a cost to everything, you know. There is, and that cost is the real thing to look at mm. because if it's costing you your health, if it's costing you your relationships, mm-hmm. if it's costing you all this stuff. What's the value of all that junk you got? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. What's the value of that? Yeah. You know, the non-tangible things, the things that you can't put your fingers on, those are the things that mean the most. And like you said, you know, that young woman who got into accounting because that's what her dad did mm-hmm. or because her dad, you know, helped pay for her college and that's the degree she got. So she felt compelled to put that degree to work. Yeah. Um, whatever the case may be. Totally. Right? Totally. We have these reasons why these stories that mm-hmm. we have in our head that mm-hmm. drive us to do these things. And if she steps back and says, you know, okay, I'm understanding that's the root cause of why I stress eat or why I eat uh, when I'm sad or whatever, recognizing that, mm-hmm. then you could address the root issue, mm-hmm. right? What's mm-hmm. what, what's not making me happy here? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of us, uh, most of these limiting beliefs and these character traits really are instilled by the time we're like eight years old. Yes, yeah, And crazy. we don't realize it. Yeah, yeah. So we can grow and change and um, put lipstick on that pig as much as we want. Mm-hmm. But when we are in a stressful situation, we revert back to the eight-year-old yeah. boy. Totally. So unless we go back and really look at that and change that way of being and overcome that, we never really can change. How do you recommend people start that process? Because that's, that's a deep, deep inner work process. Mm-hmm. It sure is. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of self-reflection. It takes yeah. a lot of uh, time, you, whether you meditate, you pray, or you just study on your own or a combination of all those things. Thinking about what your hang-ups really are, what those limiting beliefs are, the things that keep you from doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Even if that's, even if it's not necessarily going off and starting off your own thing or, um, you know, maybe you haven't nailed down yet exactly what you love. How can you at least find joy and serve in the role you're in more to get that joy, right? Um, And to do that exercise, you really got to understand what are the the things that are holding me up? What are the limiting beliefs that I have? What stops me from doing things? And when you start to identify that, then you can trace it back and say, where did that start? Mm -hmm. And I've talked to men who have, you know, their example was, I, I know exactly when it was. I was in fourth grade. Um, I got glasses for the first time Mm. and when I went to school everybody was picking on me Mm -hmm. and so I started being reclusive and that's what made me you know be shy Mm. and my way of being was shy and reclusive Mm -hmm. um another you know story is you know a guy whose dad was an alcoholic and abusive and it forced him to want to go the complete opposite he, he never wanted to be like that which is mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. however he also um never spoke his opinion mm. never stood up for himself and this character trait he worked on over a long time trying to put on the facade yeah. of 
you know, what he thought was manly and what he thought was, you know, assertive and all that. But like I said, he never addressed where that came from. Mm. So in tough situations, he moused away mm. because that's what that little eight-year-old boy was like. Mm-hmm. So until we address those things, it's really hard to do real positive change. Mm. Amen to that. It's pretty It's pretty tough because I do feel like that uh... – <laughs> There's been a lot of this coming up in the various conversations, so it's interesting that it comes up in this one too. Just that inner wounded child, you know, whether it comes up and rears this ugly head in a relationship, intimate relationship, um, or as you're pursuing your hopes and dreams, you know, or you're a, you know, a, a parent. It's it's all it's it's going to keep showing itself. It's going to keep giving you opportunities to heal and integrate that. And if you keep kind of I think uh, shoving under the rug or burying your head in the sand. It, it it's one of those things that uh, doesn't go away. It just kind of continues to, to grow. The monster grows until you can no longer avoid it or right. ignore it. You know. Well, and also what happens is you, you behave in a way that becomes your personality, your <laughs> yeah. kind of rote way of doing things. So you might not even be able to you know easily trace it back because mm-hmm. you've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. And that's like people that have anger issues, right? They're angry about something. They're not really even angry about that thing. That's really coming from something else, Mm -hmm. that reaction that they're having. And, you know, that exercise can be positive, too. It's not all about the inner wounded child. You know, you can look back and say, what are the things I'm proud of myself about? Mm -hmm. What are some things that I feel like are great traits that I have? Where did those come from? Mm -hmm. You know, like my work ethic, I can tell you 100% that came from my father. Mm. My dad was one of the hardest working men I've ever met. Uh, we, We didn't ever have much when I was growing up. Uh, we were lower middle class. Um, however, the man worked, and he mm-hmm. was an example of, you know, what you do anywhere is what you do everywhere. Yeah. He had integrity, and even though his jobs were factory jobs or, you know, snowplow jobs, not jobs that, you know, um, were necessarily, you know, careers and things that were going to put you on the, the white-collar path. Yeah. He was good at what he did, and he had integrity with mm-hmm. it. and. I always had that work ethic from a real early age. You know, something as simple as um, borrowing the neighbor's lawnmower <laughs> and my dad saying, you make sure when you take it back, you clean it, fill it up with fuel, tune it up, you return things better condition than when you got them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those things are just how little boys learn to be men. Mm-hmm. It's by, you know, obviously by following the, the example of their father or, or some type of male mentorship mm-hmm. i think a lot of men that i work with myself included i mean my dad was there and he's doing the best he can but he was also working through his own challenges yep. of stuff that he didn't get when he was a young boy right so it's like man if you know f- for us to really start to change the the curve of mental health you know is kind of what i stand for mental health for men and women for that matter <clears throat> just generally finding not only success but fulfillment it has to come it comes down to handling a lot of those childhood challenges mm-hmm. and being able to revert and go back and actually love love on the child that you were when those things happened mm-hmm. as an adult and sometimes change the meaning that you associated to something because you now have an adult's brain and ability to to see that whatever event happened that caused the trauma or the pain versus a little boy or little girl's you know uh perspective that really was probably just there to 
to cope, to right. fight or flight, you know? So. And, and that's something real critical that you said there that I don't want to get lost is, you know, how we assign meaning to things. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're young, you know, the kid with the glasses who was getting picked on, oh, this means that I'm a nerd or this yeah. means that I'm not, I'm not cool. That was a meaning that he put on there mm-hmm. and he allowed that to inform how he behaved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when we look back at that, you know, we can look back and say eight year old kids are just a bunch of knuckleheads. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to pick on you for whatever. Sure enough. If it wasn't the glasses, it would have been because you had a cowlick your in your hair yeah, or, something. Yeah. or in my case, uh, cause my dad was colorblind, you know, I had to granimals so I can match my clothes. Right. <laughs> you know, so there's always something when you're yeah. a kid, Yeah, but, yeah, definitely being able to go back and, and love on yourself, learn some of the things that guided you positively and yeah. adversely, and then breaking that chain. Yeah. And just understanding that, you know, to your point, regardless of how good or, or poor or combination our fathers were or the yeah. mentors were we had when we were young, we have an opportunity now to influence the world in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it takes more people to do that <laughs> in order to, you know, make that the norm instead of the exception. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everybody that you coach that you make an impact on, mm-hmm. that's just matriculating out there. Yep. They're going to be better fathers. They're going to be better mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, clients that I have that I coach through productivity and executive coaching, and then we, we go in deeper into other areas of coaching for them too, that just perpetuates in their businesses and in their, in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. So it impacts more people than the individual. Totally. Um, that's where our fulfillment comes from as mm-hmm. men who care about you know the mental health and well-being of other men. 100%. Uh, before we talk about productivity, because I'd like to go into that a little bit too, if you were having you know conversation maybe with one of your children or a bunch of your children, I guess, and they're adults or they're yep, teenage yep. to adults? 18 through 24. Yeah. Um, okay, so they're really just kind of getting their adult lives started. What are the things, if I were a fly on the wall and you know, I was listening to that conversation, what are those little things that you say, hey, these are the keys to success? I mean, work ethic, for sure. Mm-hmm. What are some of those other points or tips that you would that the listeners could take from you as if you were telling Absolutely. a younger adult? The number one thing, it's going to sound kind of cliche, but I, I truly do believe it, and that is your, your integrity. Mm-hmm. Integrity. Do what you say you're going to do, and yeah. then, you know, Make sure that you follow through. And yeah. if there's some reason you're not going to be able to, then renegotiate it. Don't just fail. And then it, uh, let's say you have a paper due on Friday that you committed to doing. Thursday comes along. Something impacted your ability to complete that. Mm-hmm. Instead of just not doing it, mm-hmm. renegotiate it. Tell the person that you committed, hey, I'm not going to be able to make <clears> this <throat> commitment. Um, can I renegotiate that at mm-hmm. times? So that's mm-hmm. still integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, but integrity is number one. Because nobody can ever take that away from you. Right. And regardless of how good or bad a situation is, if you're living inside your integrity, then you can walk <laughs> away from that situation yeah. knowing that you at least were in your integrity. And that's mm-hmm. it's not just integrity around the sense of morals and values. You know, it's it's integrity with yourself being whole and complete. Mm-hmm. And, you know, complete is an important thing. And that's where a lot of men struggle especially in relationships with women. Mm-hmm. We don't want to stir the pot, so we'll just eventually say, okay, even though I don't agree, okay, but then we're not complete with that. Right. We haven't voiced our opinion of not agreeing. Right. We haven't changed the course. So what happens is we build resentment. Mm-hmm. And then you do that two or three times, and now you got this resentment built up. 100%. And maybe you lash out about something that has nothing to do with it. <clears throat> totally. And now your girl thinks you're a jerk because you're lashing out because – 
the dishes weren't done or whatever, right, something right. silly, right? Right, right. Um, so having your integrity is number one, I would say. And then the second thing is authenticity. Mm. Um, being your true self. You know, and you to do that, you really got to understand yourself a little bit. You got to know who you are, mm-hmm. what you stand for, and who your authentic self is. And if you're out there trying to pretend like you're somebody else and putting on a persona, um, A, it's going to come back to bite you because you're living a lie. Mm-hmm. But B, that's no fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no fun trying to, you know, act like something you're not. Be yourself. Yeah. And if you want to change something about yourself, do the work mm-hmm. and change it. Mm-hmm. But don't just pretend. <laughs> right. Well, and it's interesting how, again, those those of those two, integrity and authenticity, one can't survive without the other. That's true. I mean, to, to be authentic, you have to be in integrity with your word, with your way of being, with how you show up. Right. Mm -hmm. And for you to be authentic, you also have to have integrity. Right. So I love that because I think those are those are so powerful. And that's a big part of the book that I've been writing is like men need men need to to be in greater integrity with their word, taking responsibility, which allows them to stay out of victimhood. Right. That's right. They stay above the line and they they get to play full out. Otherwise, um, Again, the, the friendly fire, if you will, that the shrapnel that comes from you not being your word is people stop trusting you. People stop being able to, you know, you're not accountable. It starts wounding the children or the loved ones, right? Or your business. Your business. You yeah. can't do, you can't trust, you know, a businessman if he's not uh, in integrity with his word. But then, unfortunately, we, we see it so much these days where like, oh, someone's so successful even in sports. And then we find out, of course, they're cheating. Yep. You know, it's like, uh, like, it's almost like, well, yeah, of course, it's almost like the, the standard is the line is dropping, especially with politicians and oh, yeah. athletes and everything. It's like, of course, we all know they're corrupt. There's like, then there's a new sex ring that comes out. And we're like, yeah, no, no big surprise. And yeah. that's, and that's the sad part that, uh, the leaders, if you will, those that are having a lot of influence, if you will, on social media and everything else, are really letting that standard drop, yep. you know. So I think it requires men like you, men like me, men that are listening and doing the work to really raise their game. Otherwise, the shit's going to keep That's right. <laughs> nose diving. Desensitized yeah. to all of the, the, you know, craziness in the world. Yeah. And we just get a sense of, well, there's nothing <clears throat> I could do to change it. So. Mm-hmm. WTF, right? Yeah. Um, well, maybe it's true. Maybe Steve Crawford sitting in here in Denver, Colorado, can't change the corruptness in, in politics. Mm-hmm. Stand alone, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. But what can I do? I can influence people around me in a positive way. I could add value to people's lives. I continue to, to coach executive leaders mm-hmm. and organizations the way I do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I can do. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm doing that and you're doing what you're doing with your book and with the great work you do with your clients and with your podcast, mm-hmm. influencing men mm-hmm. and that matriculates out more and more people are doing good stuff. Guess what happens? That next generation of people that's coming up as leaders, maybe they do have that moral compass that we're missing from yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it does start to raise people that have the power to impact bigger change. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. we don't know, mm-hmm. but all we can do is what we can do. Right. And that is add value and, and be the best man we can be. Right. And and never sitting back on our laurels thinking we've made it. Mm-hmm. We can always do better and do more. Yes. And speaking of being a man uh, who's in integrity with his word, I think that has a huge impact 
on productivity. It does. Saying you're going to do something, even if it's to yourself, because I feel like that's one of the biggest areas that men cheat themselves is that they don't follow through with their own word, even if they're breaking their word with like, you know what, I'm going to get up at 5.30 a.m. and I'm going to get my workout in or I'm going to do it and then uh, I'll just snooze it and I'll do it tomorrow. It's like that chips away at your Mm self-esteem. So how do you see the... how important that sense of integrity and authenticity impacting the things that you're teaching through productivity. So that is a big piece of what my approach to coaching executives is through our take back your life program at McGee productivity solutions, Mm -hmm. which is around personal productivity. Mm -hmm. Much of those tools are infused into the coaching I do Mm -hmm. with these leaders. And one of the main things is, is your accountability. Mm -hmm. And it's about prioritization and getting the right things done. Mm. And where almost everybody that I run across struggles is they overcommit. Mm. And that on the surface is like, duh. People out there listening are saying, of course, I yeah. have more to do than what I have time to Stretching do. Stretch yourself thin. Right. Yep, yep. However, if you if you were to sit back and look at, look at it closely, you'd be able to see you're spending a lot of time and committing to a lot of things that are a waste. Mm-hmm. They're not the important things. Mm-hmm. So what are your goals personally? You know, you want to get in better shape or you want to lose X amount of pounds or you want to put on 10 pounds of muscle or you want to read 10 books this month or what are your personal goals? And what are your business goals and initiatives, the things that you're accountable for at work? When you have those identified and you put them in your system that we help you create, once they're in your system, now they're visible. When a goal is visible, you have a 92% better chance of achieving it right there. Wow. So first of all, they're visible. When you say visible, just writing it down. You say, yeah, yeah, writing it down. Yeah. Or in the case, you know, when I'm coaching with people, I'll actually build a system with them in their outlook to track their tasks, their calendar, and their goals. Yeah. It's a whole system we have. Yeah. Um, but as long as it's visible. But once you do that, now you have a North Star, personal and professional goals. This is what's going to help you determine what the right things are. Something to navigate by. That's right. <clears throat> so when something comes across your desk, and you're tempted to say, yes, I'll commit to that. Mm-hmm. You can ask yourself the question, is this going to move me forward towards any of these business goals or personal goals that I have? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, that's likely something you want to prioritize. If the answer is no, you either say no to it altogether or you at least deprioritize it <clears throat> so that you can get time on your calendar to work on the things that matter most mm-hmm. in your personal life and professional life mm-hmm. and make sure those are important. So that gentleman who keeps blowing off the 530 workout why mm-hmm. is that a, not a good time for you to work out or, or you, you struggle in the morning okay let's commit time in the afternoon then mm-hmm. and let's get it on your calendar let's make a commitment mm-hmm. and let's stick to it and you can renegotiate it okay so you didn't get up in time for your five thirty workout okay that doesn't mean you give up on the workout right. just renegotiate when you're going to do it but right. still get it in that day <clears throat> which keeps you in integrity with your word that's right right and and, and you also start to learn Right. If you find yourself renegotiating that 5:30 workout three a times lot. a week, yeah, then you're just gonna come to realization that I need to actually commit that to a different time in the day. It's just so 5:30 just doesn't do make it. sense. Yes. Yeah, I just yes. need to do it at six, or I need to do it at 4 p.m. Whatever, and you learn from yourself by going through this as yeah. well yeah. to make sure you're getting your rhythm of business, your rhythm of your day, in such a way that you're getting the most important things done personally and professionally, yep. but they're also fitting into your day in a way that your your energy is right. Mm-hmm. Some people can't work out late in the day because mm-hmm. by the end of the day, they feel Exhausted. thrashed, right? Yeah. Other people, you know, say, I can't do that in the morning. Okay, well, learn. Figure out what works for you and totally. then get it in. Same thing with business. You know, for me, um, I find that I like to have sales-related calls done 
before two o'clock in the day, mm. if possible. Mm-hmm. The reason is because my by the two three o'clock in the afternoon, to be honest with it, I'm kind of over talking to people. Yeah, you know, I've been yeah. talking a lot all day. Yeah, so I'd like to do my task oriented type stuff then. Mm-hmm. The things that are just heads down in the computer, you know, mm-hmm. writing up contracts and sending out proposals and that kind of stuff. But you know, some days I have to renegotiate that. But that—that's a uh, the premium, the prime kind of schedule for me is to have call-related stuff done early. And you'll learn that about yourself, and yep. then you can really maximize your time. I think so true because when I look at it, and I've and I've taught some a uh, little bit of productivity here and there. I, I focus on doing the as much as I can the creative, like non-urgent but important things before noon. And I as as much as I can like these type of things schedule them in the afternoons. Because I can talk, I can relax, but like really important stuff, a lot of times if it gets into the afternoon, I'm like, I'll I'll do it tomorrow. I keep kicking the can down the road. So for me, it's important to do the either the urgent important or the non-urgent important work before noon and protect that time. I think that's a big part of it is protecting that time, your time, so that you don't keep giving away to – two-minute meetings that turn into an hour, right. you know, or conversations that you're like, oh, I'll just take this call, and it's another half an hour later, and you're like, damn it. Yeah, or you you're know? putting it off, and then what <laughs> happens is you were meant to go to your daughter's soccer game at 4 o'clock. Yeah. But you've been putting this thing off all day, and now the boss is down your throat, <clears throat> so you're disappointing your daughter. And yep. that was a personal commitment you made, yep. and you're not keeping your word if you don't go. Yep. And it's a priority for you. It's important for you yep. personally. Yep. But you're giving that up for something important for right, work. Right. That if you had managed your time differently, you could have you could have successfully managed both of those things. Completely, and it, and then it, it spirals. I think for me, at least, and a lot of guys that I talk to, it spirals into shame, mm-hmm. you know, or guilt, or all those things that chip away again at your self esteem. And you can't then be in a man of integrity and authentic when you feel like, you know, I can't even control my own day right i'm giving it away you know but it takes some time to learn too like there's a lot of businessmen out there myself included who have international business yeah so for example um this thursday night i'm doing executive coaching with a ceo who's in africa i've been Mm -hmm. um, coaching with him for about six months now we're getting towards the end but to support his time zone i'm doing it from eight to midnight my time Mm. now i scheduled that with him and I made an exception to do that to support him. Mm-hmm. But because I did that, guess what else I did? I went in and made sure I was taking care of my well-being differently the day before and the day after. Mm-hmm. I didn't schedule critical stuff first thing the next morning. Smart. Yep. Um, you know, I made sure I had some time in the afternoon before that to eat, work out, refresh, get myself in a spot where I'm not going into a typical 8 o'clock at night when you're winding down your day yeah. and not giving him my best self. Right. So I scheduled my time accordingly because mm-hmm. I knew that I am I'm supporting this individual at odd hours for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So planning ahead and putting yourself in a position to be the best you for whoever you're serving, but also to take care of your well-being during that day mm-hmm. and the day after mm-hmm. since it messed up your schedule a little bit. Um, that's the kind of stuff you learn when you're working from a calendar and managing your yeah. tasks and your yeah. projects and your priorities. I think the the challenge that I have, like I, the challenge, it's funny I said that, I have a free five-day challenge that's kind of focused on productivity at this point. And a lot of the guys, when they first sign up, they take a, they fill out this form just to get some data. A lot of the data that I get back is they struggle with prioritization, you know, uh, allowing distractions. They don't, they, they don't have clarity of even what to do, right? you know. 
Um, so I think that's even before you even start becoming productive, right? You have to look at, like you said, goals or set yourself on the navigation of the North Star. Like, what is that ultimate outcome you're heading towards, right? Right. And then when you do get all those task type things, you you know, you just mentioned guys have, you know, too many things to do. They don't even know where to start. Yeah. That's what the system helps them figure out as well. Mm. They're going to be able to put these tasks into different kinds of lists based on the types of tasks they are and the priorities of mm. them. So that when they come up on their calendar, it's easy for them to pick which ones are the priorities to do during this time they've carved out on their calendar to right. do that work. Right. And over time, they continue to learn more and more about that. And mm-hmm. it helps them to say yes to the right things, no to the, the things that they shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. and get better at prioritization. I love it. Give it, give a little – I mean uh, – I'll set it up for you in terms of like a little pitch, but who, who, what's the type of individual that would be uh, really helped by what you offer with, with the uh, productivity coaching and support? Absolutely. So uh, McGee Productivity Solutions itself, the, the firm, we are a consulting firm and we focus on creating cultures of productivity, accountability, and alignment mm-hmm. for organizations, teams, and individuals. Okay. And we do that through change management consulting, a myriad of training programs, and executive one-on-one coaching, mm-hmm. and 360 performance coaching. The coaching that we do, we serve leaders and individuals from Fortune 500 companies all the way down to solopreneurs. Mm-hmm. The main thing is, for from the productivity standpoint, is that you're willing to incorporate a system. Whether you use Microsoft Outlook or mm-hmm. if you're on G Suite, we can support either one of those. But we want to have a hub for you so that there is a single source of truth on all things that you're committing to. Mm. And we show you how to build that in the system. Mm. And then we take you through you know, how to work it and how to prioritize and all that. So that's really the key. But as far as the type of individuals, like I said, it's, it's anybody. It's anyone, everybody, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I find the more variety of people that I work with, not only is it more fulfilling for me, mm-hmm. but I learn along the way as well. Hmm. Sometimes people come up with a challenge that I haven't heard before. Yeah. So it challenges me cool. to help them work through a solution. I'm not going to always have the answer, but I can help you find an answer. No doubt. Because really most of those answers are within anyway. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need a coach <laughs> to kind of help you figure that out, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe going back a little bit and figuring yeah. out where this bad habit was created or yeah. where this good habit was created and learning from both of those. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, switching gears just a little bit, um, just going back to you said pre-COVID, and, and it's probably maybe starting to ramp up again a little bit here and towards the end of 2021, you traveled a crap ton. Yes. You, cra- you just travel internationally all over the place, correct? Yeah. Uh, I love to travel. I'm a travel nerd. Uh I'm just kind of curious of all the places that you've traveled, like what's your favorite? What, what are some, what are the airports that you enjoy the most? Like when you, cause it's a lot and you got to either love it or it's going to wear on you. No, you I know? do love it. I'm, I'm very blessed that, you know, this last year, notwithstanding, you know, <laughs> that I get to travel so much for business. When yeah. I was in business process outsourcing, I traveled quite a bit. And then when I joined McGee five years ago, um, I helped us get more of an international, um, more of an international exposure. And the year before COVID, in that one year, I did 280,000 miles in the air. Crazy. I was in China, India, Budapest, France, Poland, Germany, Germany, Italy, um, and all over the United States. Wow. Um, you know, I can't say that there's a specific place that is my favorite for any one reason. I have favorites for different reasons. Sure. 
I, I love people yeah. and I love learning about cultures mm-hmm. when I travel mm-hmm. and I still love to look at architecture. Mm-hmm. So anything in Same. the old world is fantastic I for me it. because yeah. there's buildings there that are older than anything that exists in this country, yeah. um, which is really cool for me. Yeah. Um, I really love uh, Stuttgart, Germany. I've been out there several mm-hmm. times. I have a client that has a, a facility out there and I've been out there, I think now six times mm-hmm. and um, love it out there. Um, Believe it or not, India is one of my favorite places. I've been at several different places in India. Um, Again, the people. I also like Indian food. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing about that, though, it's it's always a um, it's always a a pro con there. It's beautiful, and I love it, and it's also very heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. You know, literally right across the street from where you're working, there's you know peasant kids that have been purposely deformed so they can be better beggars, and you know, but. There is a lot of things that are being done there to improve so in, in the years that I've been going there. I think yeah. I've been going there about 15 years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a lot of improvement happening, but it's beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, stunning views, obviously, in Italy. I got um, a chance to um, go to Lake Como oh, yeah. um, <laughs> for serving a client and just stunning. stunning. Like, yeah. Literally, you know, I, I rarely find myself breathless. Yeah. But I was just standing outside on this veranda at this hotel that was right on the lake, and just I must have been 15 minutes. Just looked like I was paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. It was just so stunning. Yeah. Um. So lots of things, you know, physical beauty, architecture, beauty. Yeah. Nature, people, food, lots of different things. Yeah. I can honestly tell you that there hasn't been a place that I've gone that I didn't find something to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Lake Como. Um, I've seen pictures. My dad has been there. It reminds me a lot of uh, Sloan's Lake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. It's very close. Yeah, hand you know, hand. Yeah, six and one half dozen <laughs> the other, right? Yeah, not quite. <laughs> not exactly. Well, the thing is, you know, my wife at the time, um, when I was going there, um, she was used to me going all these different places, and I never really, you know, raised a hair on her head about it. You know, she was just accustomed to it. But yeah. um, it was kind of late in the game, and I was getting ready to go when it struck her that I was going to Lake Como, and she's like, "Wait a minute, that's where George Clooney lives." Mm. So she was like, "Can I go with you?" Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame her. Yeah, but I didn't see Clooney anyway, so no. she wasn't that heartbroken yeah, that she didn't yeah. go with me on that one. Yeah, it is. It is absolute. But I mean, Italy in and of itself, I have a, uh, a desire to move there and live there a little bit and just enjoy it. There's just so many wonderful places in the in the world, and I agree. In in the one time that I visited India, Mumbai and Cochin and uh, Agra, Taj Mahal, like it's like you said, it's breathtakingly heartbreaking mm. simultaneously, yeah. you know, uh, especially with just how much trash there is in the slums yeah. and the conditions, living conditions for some people. And then we'd take our bus and then we roll into this beautiful palace. Right. There's no people. Everything's perfectly manicured. And you're like, ah, it's like hard to not feel, you know, it's, again, humbling. That's, it's humbling, but it's like that privilege of even just being, Mm-hmm. an American or, yep. or coming from the top 1% of, you know, the world that makes the most money, you right. know? So we are so blessed and it's just easy to take, take for granted what we've got going on here. But again, it's also easy to forget when we're in our own minds and we're in our own situations, you know, and if we're, if we're lost, we don't have that North star and we're not being productive and we're shaming ourselves and we're not being in integrity. It's very easy to forget, but we, how good we have it. Cause mm-hmm. it's all relative to our, Right. Experience, you know. Yeah, and you know, everybody is in the culture of always wanting more. Yeah. There's never enough. Yeah. Right? There isn't enough. Yeah. 
that enough is what you need, you know, for the basics. That's enough. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, then sure, there's nothing wrong with enjoying luxury in your life and and wanting some other things. But make the distinction what enough is versus what is nice to have or what you'd like to have. Enough is enough. Enough doesn't have to be all this exuberant stuff. Right, right. And again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, shaming anybody who has accumulated wealth or has nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, if you're constantly thinking you need more yeah, because of what is required, that that's where you have to kind of put yourself in check. Yeah, 100%. If you're, <clears throat> again, if you're, if there's some wounding there and you're looking to fulfill, not to fulfill, but to fill up that void of whatever that wound is and you feel like, then you'll be loved and right you know compensating for something yeah right? yeah you know you and i both know from losing parents that like you don't take it with you know nope. so you know it's not to say that you know i i enjoy my place here but at the end of the day it really does come back to full circle to what we started talking about which is impact mm-hmm. you know how how that fulfillment is in working with people and how that has a ripple effect out from your way of being versus just focusing only on making Benjamins. Right. You know? And acquiring, you know, tangible stuff. stuff. Yeah. Stuff is stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things about, you know, men and getting back a little bit to productivity, but it just reminded me when you said that, that's one of the key things is, you know, all the tangible stuff that we have, Mm -hmm. money, things, Mm -hmm. every one of those things could be replaced. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what can't be replaced is time. Right. Every second that goes by is gone forever. Mm-hmm. So if you have those things that are important to you personally and professionally, mm-hmm. wouldn't you want to get the highest and best use of your time? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to family or your relationships, that time's important. Mm-hmm. And it can't be replaced. You know, if you blink your eyes and your kids are going off to college and you didn't have any time with them and you weren't developing them and spending time with yeah. them, you know. That's a hard thing because you can't replace that. Yeah, it's it's so true. It's so true. Um, but I do feel like one of the things that, uh, I guess, on the same vein but a different vein at the same time is it's something that's so incredible about being in the U.S. and being, you know, in a, a free society, if you will, is entrepreneurship. Yep. And if you envision it, you can go for it. Talk a little bit about how you're, you support entrepreneurs on a yearly basis and what you were telling me over coffee the other day. It's yes, cool absolutely. Stuff. So um, outside of my major role at McGee Productivity Solutions, I do have a passion project company called Crawford & Gray. Mm-hmm. My business partner, Kevin, and I um, have been doing that formally. It's almost seven years now cool. since we made it a company, but we were doing it for a few years before then. And it's really just about supporting entrepreneurs and small businesses mm-hmm. with the benefit of our network. So, you know, if you come to me and say, Steve, I want to start a cigar shop. I know mm-hmm. everything there is to know about cigars. I love cigars. But I don't know what I don't know about starting a business. For free, we give you guidance and help and feedback to help you get connected That's to the right cool. people. So I would ask you things like, do you have a business plan put together? If mm-hmm. not, I can help you do that. Um, you know, if you're going to have a retail shop, you're probably going to want to take credit cards, right? Well, you'll need a merchant account. Mm-hmm. Well, you might say, I don't know anything about getting a merchant account. Yeah, Where do yeah. I even start, right? What even, yeah. So I would introduce you to somebody that I know and trust who does that. You need a website developed. I could introduce you to somebody there. You need a CPA. I can introduce you there. So through my network, I can connect you to people that are going to treat you right, mm-hmm. 
and help you get your business going. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to do all that research and legwork to try to figure that out. And you get the value of, of my network. And of course, it adds value to my network because I'm referring them clients as well. So mm-hmm. it's a win all the way around. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that we do is we also help you figure out what kind of money you're going to need for that business and help you figure out what's the best type of way for you to get that money, whether it's an SBA loan, an investor, a partner, you want to self-fund it, right? We'll help you with that. All that stuff is stuff we do um, because we love entrepreneurs and small business, and we do all that for free. The only time Crawford & Gray makes any money is in a small percentage of time where we actually are the right fit for and that client's the right fit for us Mm -hmm. that we invest in them directly. Mm -hmm. And even then, we rarely do a deal where we take equity. We want them to own their business. So we'll help them with, if it's the bridge that helps them get the proof of concept done so they can get that next level of funding, mm-hmm. or if it's the type of business mm-hmm. that, you know, 20 grand is enough to get them going, mm-hmm. um, then we might invest in them in a way that allows them to have a deferment for a number of months, get their business going, and then they only pay a percentage of revenue for a period of time. So they're not worried about a payment, and then it just transitions into a loan. Mm -hmm. But, you know, last year we helped, you know, just shy of 100 entrepreneurs at various levels of those services that I just shared. So cool. And we only invested in three. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 90-plus of them just got free consulting and advisory. Mm -hmm. And, again, it's a passion project. Kevin and I both have full-time jobs, Mm -hmm. and uh, we don't pay ourselves anything out of the Crawford & Gray business Mm -hmm. when we – do invest into a company and we start earning something on that, it stays in the bank so we can invest in the next client. It's pretty cool. It's like uh, your own version of Shark Tank. It is. It is. But the great thing about it is that it's very, you know, low maintenance. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't market it. You know, we do have a website and um, a LinkedIn page for it just so people can find us if they're looking for us. But we don't market it at all. It's all word of mouth and it's all local Denver stuff anyway. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. How would people you know in wrapping this up with a nice little bow how would people get in touch with you that sounds good to them because i'd be like if i was again 23 or 25 again starting my business i'd be like i want to get you know i need that mentorship i need that that sounds like uh, a dream come true how do they get in touch with you you can always get me via email steven.crawford at Mm mcgeepro.com i imagine you'll be able to post that up there on that yep um that's the best way to get a hold of me because what i'm going to do is schedule time to get back to you and prioritize that in yep. my schedule. Yep. Um, I don't like phone calls so much on the first um, reach out because I hate for people to go to my voicemail and get into the, having a play phone tag. Yep. So an email, yep. we can actually schedule a time to get together. So stephen.crawford at mcgeepro.com. Perfect, perfect. Uh, you're on LinkedIn? I am. I'm big on LinkedIn, so that's hey. a great way to find me as well. Okay. On there, I'm Stephen D. Crawford. Um, and you, you'll see the picture of my ugly mug. It'll be obvious to me, so you'll find me pretty easy on there. That's awesome. Any other ways to connect with you? That's Websites the best two or... ways, yeah. Perfect, awesome, yeah. awesome. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for doing this. Thanks for chatting. It's been so good. Um, I think just there's so many you know, nuggets of gold in that, whether we're talking about leadership, productivity, parenting, you know, just being in integrity with being a man. There's... I could keep going on and on, um, but thank you. A wealth well, of knowledge. Thank you for having me, and you know, thank you for doing the show because yeah. I think we need lots more of this, men supporting men mm-hmm. and women too. Mm-hmm. But you know, I have a special place in my heart, you know, for supporting men, like I know you do too. Mm-hmm. And 100%. the more people that listen, and the more people that share, and the more people that add value, 
the more impact we can all make. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's a win-win, you know, because I support you, you support me, I support, you know, it's like, it's a win-win-win actually all the way around because it's, I'm still getting the, the, the guidance and the mentorship <laughs> that I still need as a man, right. uh, that I think we all need as, as men, no matter how old you are. Right. That's so true. I love it. But Awesome, you guys. Check out uh, Stephen Crawford on LinkedIn or email him if you want to check out any of the resources he has for you. Uh, and until we meet again, thanks for listening to another episode of The Johnny King Show. Have an amazing day. Cheers. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback, and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash Coach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.